It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's up, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands Podcast. I am Elliot Shore Parks. My co-host, the main star of the show, is always Kyle Newbeck. Uh, here to talk about, look, let's be real, Kyle. My dream game. Like when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to how does Elliot want to watch basketball? It was that game, Sixers versus Nets. Tons of threes, no defense, all guards, not much center play. And look, as someone that likes the Real Housewives and, and drama and stuff, it had all the drama you wanted. Like they clearly, clearly, these teams really hate each other. So I cannot wait to get into to, to this game. I almost texted you last night and be like, let's just do it live after the game. But uh. I know it was a late night for you, so probably. Buddy, you would have been waiting until an ungodly hour to yeah. get this spot in because yeah. with Joel all the fouls and well, so Joel actually was not too too bad last night relative mm-hmm. to you know his normal get a massage all that stuff. Um, it's just that the game took forever. That first quarter, there's yeah. like eight million fouls, multiple texts, there are texts throughout the game. Just one of those nights where it, I don't even think we got done done with the game until 10 30 nope. and then you have to wait for doc and all the other guys so yeah so we would have been podcasting at like two o'clock in the morning is, is yeah. what i'm telling you and so look for that game for that specific game it, it might have been worth it but tons to get into from that game before we do as always a reminder download the odyssey app it's where you get all these episodes first all the nfl stuff the eagles are, are about to be in the super bowl you'll get all the nfl stuff there uh Leave us five-star reviews. I mean, I'm just checking the, the the list off of all the uh, beginning of podcast stuff. But, yeah, leave five-star reviews. Download the Odyssey app. It helps the show grow. And, uh, you know, it makes doing this pod pod more worth it. So without further ado, Kyle, I already said how much I loved last game. And you hinted at it was a long one for sure. Let's just start big picture. What was your takeaway from that win? My takeaway is that that was a better uh, piece of theater than it was a basketball game. Um, I, this is, I don't know if you saw this stat, so I'm going to see if I'm dropping this on you for the first time. All right. The Brooklyn Nets last night had the third best shooting percentage ever in a loss in wow. NBA history. They shot, I believe it was 64.8%. Mm-hmm. The only two other games that teams shot better and lost in were both games for the early 80s bulls before jordan got there and this is absolutely i'm like i'm gonna have to go back and find this game um 
the Bulls shot 70% in a game that they lost. And I just Jeez. like need I need to know what happened there. That to is like it, a, yeah. That's like a full investigation worthy event. To, but I mean, last night, Brooklyn shoots almost 65% from the field. Dude, Brooklyn was awesome lose. last night. Yeah, Brooklyn was yeah. awesome last night. So... Listen, I, I think the, the pageantry is great, right? I think every time Joel touches the ball with Ben on him and the crowd rises to its feet and cheers, like that mm-hmm. stuff was awesome. Like I, as someone who loves the the emotional side of sports and that it's so much more than X's and O's and all that, I love that stuff. If you're asking me if I love the quality of basketball, I did not because like the first quarter – really high scoring quarter, but it's mostly just two teams fouling each other mm-hmm. over and over and over again. I like the chippiness. I like the back and forth between Nick Claxton and Joel Embiid. Honestly, the takeaway for me, and I I, I guess Tyrese Maxey is the only one who actually uh, believes in this assessment because James and Joel both pretended that that was just like a yeah. Sixers versus Nets last night is that this is not going away. Like, this rivalry is for real, and this is going to be like this basically whenever they play. Like, the fact that we're talking about a mid, or I should say late January basketball game with such reverence and there's so much excitement around it, it speaks a lot to, you know, the emotions in this rivalry now. And, you know, you add Kevin Durant to that, and that goes up, Mm -hmm. you know, even another level. So... I, I thought it was really fun, but not that great of a basketball game. End of the day. Yeah, I, I would agree. Look, the first quarter especially was was tough to get through. You know, sometimes at Eagles games, we'll we'll look around each other, the beat writers, and be like, you know, this this first quarter takes an hour and fifteen minutes. Sometimes in the NFL, mm-hmm. it felt like an NFL <clears throat> game last night. Way too many calls at the beginning. And we'll talk about the refs for a second, but I think you hit the nail on the head. What I thought was so awesome about last night was. It was the true beginning of a rivalry between these two teams. They have played each other in the past. I mean, they played each other in the playoffs a a while ago, but it was like two different teams in in, in a way. Um, But just seeing the fact that, look, I was was proud of Joel in a way because leading into the game, and we talked about in the last pod, I really wanted him to play in this game, right? You know, I wanted him to play on it because it's ESPN. It's Ben Simmons. It's the Nets. And I know he's dealing with the foot thing. And he did at times look like he was laboring through that game. He had a mm-hmm. shoulder thing going on and all that stuff. I didn't think he came out and played his best basketball early. But I will say this. I am proud of him and happy that he was like, I'm going to play and I'm going to go right at Ben Simmons. And early on, he went right at Ben Simmons to mixed results. Like Ben actually did a somewhat decent job against him, but I thought it was a really good sign for Joel that, you know, the playoff failures he's had, all those things, whatever. The fact that he came out and wanted to dominate right away and wanted to go right at Ben and like rose to the moment, I thought was awesome to see from him. I'll say this though. I think he was too caught up in the individual stuff. Like I I think that's fine in that game specifically, right? Like I don't, nobody's going to begrudge Joel for having, that's a subpar game by his standards and, you know, having some goofy misses or turnovers or whatever, because he's, he's trying a little too hard to prove he can go right through Ben or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. He gets that one game. Now the interesting thing moving forward is that, like a one-off is that just that he got it out of his system and now they play the nets and it's more of a, you know, he settles down and he plays more like himself on an average night. Like I I almost think that he's better when he's just kind of 
happy and, and carefree rather than when he's charged up and like wanting to take somebody's head off. Like I, yeah. I just think he doesn't play with as much restraint when he's like really fired up for a game. Like certainly when he's mo- quote unquote motivated, I think he looks great pretty much always. But I think, and Doc Rivers said this last time I agreed, didn't target Embiid specifically, but said they played emotionally instead of not with instead of with emotion, which is an important mm-hmm. distinction. So I think he's going to have to find that balance. I think some of that will probably just by adding Durant to the lineup and having to focus on him and making sure you're like mentally all there to stop somebody as good as Durant is. I think that's going to change some of it. There won't be as much. Oh, I'm, it's Ben, Ben, Ben all the time, yeah. or it's um attacking Nick Claxton because he said the wrong thing to me, or still I'm very curious what was actually <laughs> said between those two like, last yeah. night. If you're Joel and you said he said something, I feel like you almost have to say what it is at that point. If you're gonna tease us all, like come on, just say it. It, it had to be. He said that it was something disrespectful. I'm assuming mm-hmm. it was something related to his family is That's the only what I thing thought. I think would make Joel go there. Regardless of what it is, I, I think, jo- and Joel knows this, he's not somebody who goes out and gets texts because he's, you know, fighting with guys or whatever. And so mm-hmm. all that's going to have to be restrained a bit. I do think that he's certainly uh, emotionally intelligent enough to get there over the long term. But But look, it's good. This is what people want. This is why, you know, there's been a devaluing of the NBA regular season. A lot of people think, and you've said it on the podcast, season doesn't really start until Christmas Mm -hmm. and nothing really matters until the playoffs. Game like this, a great example of what for for the league to put out there of why people should pay attention, right? These guys show up with clearly a ton of motivation. Ben is throwing his body around into people. Guys who didn't even, honestly, I didn't even get to this part. George Niang did not play a single minute with Ben in Philadelphia and might hate him more than anybody yeah. on the roster. Those two went at it whenever they're on the floor together. This is the kind of thing that the NBA should be selling, right? Real, I shouldn't say hatred. I think hatred is probably too far, but real active dislike for each other. Good high level players on both teams, elite players on both teams. If Kevin Durant is healthy, I don't think I'd quite put Kyrie at that level even though he was awesome last night Mm -hmm. it's just that's what I want to see when I turn on the NBA it's not just high level basketball but real rivalries bad blood the the type of stuff that you know they made all kinds of documentaries about with the 80s and 90s the the back and forths and all that yeah from that perspective I loved it I, I agree with you. And what's interesting is a lot of people will say you don't get that anymore because there's so much player movement and players, you know, you don't see the Pistons versus the Bulls for four straight years with the same yeah. guys, right? Or the Celtics <clears throat> or the Bulls or whatever you want to pick, right? Lakers, Kings from back in the day. But it's funny is this is actually the result of player movement, like this this heated rivalry specifically. And while you can, I agree, hatred is too hard of a word. I'm sure none of these people actually wish ill will on each other. It is clear that Joel and Ben at this point are are very much uh, as close to kind of sports hatred as you could get. I mean, Ramona Shelburne, Shelburne said before the game that Joel won't even use Ben's name when talking about him. He'll say like twenty five or that guy or whatever. And I mean, you were in, you were there, so I'd be curious to get your your feedback on this and what you saw. 
But I saw a lot of tweets, not a lot of footage, but a lot of tweets about how they were talking in between plays and it seemed heated. And like, did they shake hands? Like, what did you notice from there? Oh, no, that was as soon as the game ended, Joel walked right to the Sixers bench and off the floor. And that was what about before the game? I'm curious. That was with Ben coming over. And I believe he shook, I want to say Tobias Harris's hand. So Uh there was at least a couple guys came up to him, said, you know, good game, all the, the customary post game stuff. Before the game, they didn't really overlap. Uh, so Ben, Ben's warm up time is way before Joel's typically. I think Ben's around a, like ninety minutes before the game, maybe mm-hmm. some, a little bit after that. Joel comes out normally around fifty minutes before tip. It was closer to fifty five last night. It was actually one of the longer, more intense warm ups I've seen Joel go through before a game, which I thought yeah. in itself. While their availability was in doubt, or his availability was in doubt, I thought that was the best sign that, yeah, this guy's definitely playing He's tonight. Gonna play. But it wasn't. But the interesting thing with Ben not connected to Joel was, you know, last year when he comes back for the first time, there's probably a thousand, two thousand. I believe you were at that game. I was there. Yeah, now, it, was, it was crazy. Probably a thousand or two thousand people who showed up just to yell at him during warmups. People yep. were going absolutely crazy. You would have hardly known Ben Simmons was there wow. at all last night before the game. He's standing at midcourt talking to Christian Crosby and some other guys that he's friends with or at least had mm-hmm. a relationship with with the team. And then he warms up and there's not anybody even paying attention to what he's doing, basically. So yeah. definitely a big departure from about a year ago when – I get that people still dislike him and he certainly got booed throughout all of last night's game. I thought the crowd was that was a playoff level crowd. That was awesome. But if you're at if you're talking about the real hatred that we saw when he first came back, I don't think that's there. I think it's changed to a this guy is just a, a bozo on the other team that we don't like and right. it was that level of booing rather than we hate your guts type of booing. Well, I will say this for Ben. I remember when he was traded to the Nets and there was kind of, you know, the build up to the first game that he didn't play in. There was a lot of, oh, he'll never show up. He'll never actually sit on the bench. He'll never play a game in Philly. To Ben's credit, when I was at that game last year, he embraced it fully. He came out for warmups. He stood around. He, you know, obviously wore the yellow and black sweater. Everyone liked to make fun of what was actually a super well, Louis Vuitton look. Yeah, super flag expensive sweater. But I think Ben has actually not shied away from the Philadelphia thing. Like he's, he's played in the games he can, he's been out there, he shot free throws, he did all those things. And I do agree at this point, as much as I love it. And I do love the drama. You're right. That last night, at least watching on TV, didn't seem as intense as, as when he first got there last Ben question. And then we'll get to the actual team that we talk about the Sixers. Just what'd you think of him as a player last night? I mean, I, I thought, you know, he looked like a shell of himself, obviously, but just what did you think watching him on the court? I thought, thank God I don't have to write about this dude anymore <laughs> and deal with people in my Twitter mentions telling me that actually it's good that he is two feet away from the basket and doesn't even look at the rim. Right. right. I, I did think it was such a contrast in halves, though, right? First half, I you could have bet your life, bet a house, whatever it is, that he was not going to score because there was – just not other than he had one attempt, I believe. And it was a two foot layup where he yeah. caught the ball and he looked like, at least from my vantage point, it looked like he was going up to dunk the ball. 
And then he saw Joel, and it was like he saw a ghost. <laughs> he was like, nah, I'm not, he I'm just not totally short armed yeah. the shot, barely hit the rim. And then the third quarter, I that was honestly, I I don't know this for a fact. This is just based on the season I know he's had. It's probably the best scoring quarter he's had the entire season. He scored 12 points in the third yeah. quarter, and he's got a scoring average of seven and a half. So I can't imagine he's had almost doubled it up. Yeah. There. Many, if any, better scoring quarters, but I think his coach not playing him for the final nine minutes of the game tells you exactly what Brooklyn thinks about how he played last night. They were straight up better without him on the up. floor. And I said this on the podcast, I believe, two days ago. Nick Claxton is like very clearly their third best player. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's even close. This is not a big three where Ben is, you know, oh, he might go off on a given night. Like he's the guy that can pick up the slack no ben just is who he is he's a role player he's somebody that's dependent on everybody else around him to have a good game i mean i i wouldn't even say i don't think there were many moments last night where he even made a defensive impact brooklyn spent a lot of that game sitting in zone they clearly yeah. did not really use him as a uh a switching and versatile weapon i thought they tried to overplay harden early in the game and the Sixers ended up getting quality shots basically whenever that happened, when Ben and somebody else are putting two on the ball against James. So I just I, – I can't believe how far that guy has fallen. It, it's – I can believe it, but I can't. You know, you see that up close and see Ben's total unwillingness to attack. I, it is crazy that he's gone from – this would have been a game that people lost their minds about in Philly, right? Yeah. And I think – it's just like this is a standard Ben well, game. If exactly. anything, this yeah. was the, this is like an above average Ben Simmons game on offense compared to most of this season. And the fact that you can't get him on the floor in crunch time, that Brooklyn is actively better without him on the floor, and that's yeah. without Kevin Durant available. So you're playing like no disrespect to you to Watanabe, but you're playing somebody like him over Ben in crunch time. Or Seth Curry, who can get picked on defensively because he's on such a heater. That says everything about where Ben Simmons is in the hierarchy of the league, in the hierarchy of the Nets. And this is a playoff preview, man. He's not going to play down the stretch of playoff games because Nick Claxton is straight up more important and better at basketball than he is. Well, so I did think one thing that was funny about the 12 points he scored in the third quarter is he did it at least initially by going at PJ Tucker, like like, of of like the least confident score in the NBA, probably somebody who has no desire to like be an impact player as a scorer saw PJ Tucker and was like, yeah, I can take this guy. And like went at him three straight possessions. Well, PJ was pretty good last night though. That's one of the best scoring games he's had in a while. Yeah. Couple well, light or a couple trips to the free throw line. He's yeah. If he can well, score six points and a half without hitting a single three, that's you take that money and run with it. If you're the six, well, I'll, I'll say this: that as much as last night's game was my dream basketball game, watching Ben Simmons and PJ Tucker go one on one was my basketball nightmare in terms of just like the little hook shots and all that stuff. That was no. that was not fun to watch. But another question I have for you uh, about this game, and I want to get into Harden and Maxi uh, specifically, but. You mentioned playoff matchup. Um, I do think we talked about Joel early on and about maybe he seemed a little too fired up for this matchup. And I do respect the fact that he played like it ca- played like it mattered, played despite the fact he was dealing with a foot thing. I do respect all that. 
I do think also, though, he did come out too emotional. I'm curious in a playoff matchup, like how do you, and I know there was no Durant last night, but just how do you see these two teams matching up? Because I do kind of think while Ben does not help the Nets on the court too much, I do wonder if maybe even just having him in that series is an advantage for them if Joel is going to come out so like overly fired up to begin this game. Well, I think that will fade over time. I think the big thing last night that they need to correct, I know you hate talking about defense in general. I know, but, but it's okay. This one deserves the, defense time, for the, sure. So the problem last night, as far as I can see it, is that they spent way too much time. They almost I, – I get that Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons both can't shoot, and you want to help off of them onto other guys, but – I thought they were too aggressive with that last night. There are a lot of mm-hmm. plays where, you know, Kyrie Irving, amazing, difficult shot maker, right? He can hit shots from all over the floor, weird angles. He had a finish in the final two minutes of that game last night that I almost like fell out of my chair <laughs> when he made like, incredible finisher, incredible shot maker, all that. But if he's going to beat you just scoring on an island like that, shooting over DeAnthony Melton or Thibault or, whoever might be guarding him, I'm inclined to let him. Mm-hmm. He he hurts you if he's going off as a scorer, but he's much more dangerous if you're sending a second guy at him and all of a sudden you know, Nick Claxton has a wide-open dunk or a layup because he's rolling to the rim and Joel has abandoned his assignment. And I did think they made it too easy on Brooklyn by the other guys were able to get involved in the game because – Joel's overhelping or PJ might be overhelping or whoever is guarding one of those non-shooters is straying too far from those guys thinking that they're going to make an impact uh, by just challenging Kyrie essentially. So that's one thing that they definitely need to correct. I get it's really hard to do that in the moment because you see someone like Kyrie going off your, your natural instinct is to say, all right, well let's double that guy or let's send another guy. Let's send late help at this guy. But I think it's it's almost better to just let him be a black hole on offense, not let the other guys get going. So that's also an emotional side of the game that it's not specific to this rivalry, but it is something that in a playoff setting, you have to find that proper balance between checking the star and you know not letting the other guys get going. Because well, honestly, a lot of that game, Claxton was outplaying Embiid, but some of that is because Joel was beat barely guarding him with all mm-hmm. the, the attention they're paying to Kyrie. Well, so my question for you about the defense would be a lot of times when we talk about defense on this pod, it's a lack of effort, right? It's a lack of, they just didn't seem like they wanted to do it. seems like you think last night wasn't so much effort as much as just like poor play, like bad decision-making on who to, to go out on, like those type of things. Is, is that accurate? You thought last night was more a lack of, of good play as opposed to a lack of effort. It's a mix of some of, of multiple things. I do think there were some bad effort plays. I think Joel, when he got into foul, I, I guess I shouldn't say he was in foul trouble, but he had three fouls in mm-hmm. the third quarter. And you could tell how that impacted him, right? Claxton had a few drives where there was not much of an effort made by Joel to contest him at the rim. It was mostly, you know, getting his chest up against them and, and trying to dislodge him a little bit, but not a whole lot of, uh, rim protecting so that's part of it you know james obviously has his issues tyrese there were some moments where he got picked on a little bit he also committed a bad foul on seth curry early in the game on a a made three so it's it's a combination of factors i i just think 
the emotional side is going to play out there as well. They do have to stay even keel and, and not let runs for Brooklyn change what they're doing. Because, look, Brooklyn is a team between Irving and Durant that they're going to go on crazy scoring runs, and you have to be able to respond to that schematically, emotionally, all, all that stuff. So, mm -hmm. I, I, again, I, I come back to I do think that last night is probably a good – get it out of your system, get the the most revved up game that you're ever going to have out of the way in January. And so that way they still have two meetings with Brooklyn left on the schedule. Both of them will be on the road. I think that'll show us, you know, how much of last night was a, a one-off let Joel kind of run out this, uh, <laughs> this emotional battle. Yeah. That he was Give him a few with. more shots at Ben. Yeah. And how much of this is going to be a, a long-term problem, but I will say, I think defense has been, their defense has been pretty poor over the last, you know, however many weeks, two weeks, yeah. three weeks, whatever it is. And they've been good enough offensively to offset that. I actually think somebody posted this morning, they have had the best offense in the league since James Harden returned from his injury, which wow. based on the eye test, I actually believe. And that's actually something last night, crazy as it sounds, the amount of points that they scored. I was almost as disappointed in the offense because of how bogged down it got at times. They're just really? kind of standing around. Wow. They, they just stood around against zone and didn't really didn't do anything in the fourth quarter. I thought James shot them out of some really bad possessions. And look, it is good to have somebody like James to do that, right? When it gets to mm -hmm. crunch time and you can just call his number, he's going to attack a switch, whatever it is. But I thought they lived out of that too much. It became too much about the Joel versus Ben thing. Like, hey, my dog is now barking over here. He's yeah. he's fired up about I mean, the he game. He wants to talk Joel and Ben again, you know, as yeah. soon as you say it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought they got a little too focused on, I'm going to go one-on-one -on -one with this guy and beat him rather than, I mean, how many pick and rolls did we even see them run last night? That's been their bread and butter play all season. Yeah. And it felt like for the most part, that was barely part of the offense last night. Well, did you think early on Ben did a good job with that? Uh, I mean, I you know, I was texting with some of my friends, and they were making the point that Ben being able to switch on either a center or a guard there made the pick and roll a little harder to do. Like, did you think they went away from it because the Nets did a good job against it, or they just went away from it? I mean, I, I think some of it is that Brooklyn sat in zone. It's it's a little mm -hmm. harder to run a pick and roll against zone. And yeah, when the Sixers actually ran zone offense – they looked fine. Like it was mostly Tobias catches the ball around the elbow in the middle of the zone. Joel seals somebody under the rim and he's getting fouled or it's a layup or a dunk, whatever. And right. Those plays where they actually ran offense were good, but there were too many. All right. Joel sets a screen. There's a switch. And now James is just dribbling, 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 eating up clock. It was a lot mm -hmm. of it, it's essentially like prevent offense. It's like watching an NFL game where teams right. up by a couple touchdowns and they're just kind of killing time. Just I thought they spent the way too much of that fourth quarter in that style of offense. Now, obviously, in the final minutes of the game, I thought James was awesome and you know took advantage of some favorable matchups. But I I didn't like the process behind the offense, despite the fact that they scored what was that 137 points yeah and i mean dude they were unbelievable in the first quarter and i'll take your i'll take your word for it on that but i will say my one of my takeaways from last night too was they don't win this game last year 
Like last year, they do not end this game with a win because if you look at how they won it, right? First of all, Maxi Melton, like the three-point shooting was way better than it was last year. I looked this up last night. Last year, I think they were like 28th in the league in three-point attempts. Now they're 14th. They're shooting it way more. An actual increase isn't that much, but they are, compared to the rest of the league, attempting way more. They have way better shooters. And last night you saw, like, you're right that there were possessions that didn't look great, but they have such better shooters now that they're able to shoot their way out of it at the end of the possession. And to, to your thing about Harden, I thought it, last night was extremely encouraging in the way that what Harden did at the end of the games is exactly what you trade him for, trade for him to do. He had those two threes. I thought he showed good burst on getting to the basket on that layup he had. And then he makes a great defensive play. So I think like when it was 120 to 120, he basically took over for the next few possessions and like helped them pull back away. So for him to A, just do that in general, but do it in that game, that type of heated environment, do it at the end of the game, right? Like I thought it was a good preview of what you could expect from Harden uh, come playoff time. Yeah, look, like the step back threes are obviously great, but the fact that the biggest bucket of the game is James Harden getting to the rim and scoring yeah. a layup, that in itself is such a huge change compared to last year. And I thought earlier in the game, well before that run where James essentially saved the game for the Sixers, he essentially made it so that Jack Vaughn could not play TJ Warren in that game because TJ Warren played some minutes in the first half and the Sixers basically just cleared the floor out and said, James, you're going at him on every play. And I mm -hmm. think on, I want to say like three straight possessions, there was a Harden scored, Harden got fouled and Harden created an open three. And Joel didn't spend basically any time inside the arc during that stretch. It was just like, we have this matchup. James yeah. can beat this guy or force him to take a foul, whatever it is. If they double, they send help. He's going to make the right pass. And so to be able to have a ball handler that they can do something like that, it's a they smell blood in the water type situation. That is a, a massive change, even compared to having Harden last year, because yeah. he just did not he did not have the juice to do that against, you know, I would say most of the league, honestly. He was so wholly reliant on whether his jumper is falling. And look, the jumper falling was critical late in that game, right? He shot them out of bad possessions. I thought he needed to run more offense and sort of get them into stuff more than he did. But you make threes over over guys and, you know, relegate good defense to just a guy flailing at you. Yeah. That's a winning possession. And so the fact that they have this guy that, on a bad night for Joel, bad shooting night for Joel, that they can turn to him and say, James, we need you to take us home. That's a really powerful thing. And that's exactly what you trade for him for. That's exactly it. Like just flat out exactly it. Um, another difference I thought, and we'll get into Maxi now, from last year to this year in the Maxi whole six man thing. So we we've talked about how when it comes to Maxi, he should he's one of the best five players on the team. He's arguably number three, and probably is number three, right? And at times looks like number two, to be honest, but he is one of the best five players on the team. So in that way, he should be starting and we don't have to get into that discussion again. But one thing I did think last night was if in the, the regards to if you trade him for somebody that can be a starter, as opposed to someone that's coming off the bench, if they were to do that, and I don't think they're going to, but let's say they pull off a shocking trade for Zach Levine to, to use that name, right? Yeah. Maybe your starting lineup is better because he fits there better. 
But I thought last night was a perfect example of if Maxie's actually going to embrace a six man six man role, he is such an advantage off the bench because last night, you know, he comes in, I think he had like 13 points relatively quickly. Like he was red hot from three. He gives them all type of like extra energy when, when he gets out there. And if they were to lose that, it would be their bench would have major problems. So when you were to compare last year, this year, Maxi being off the bench and being able to come off the bench and drop what he did, it's it's such a huge difference. And it showed last night that if everyone's going to be okay with this, Maxi is a six man. Like he could win six man of the year. I mean, he he's that good as coming off the bench and giving them instant offense. Well, honestly, look at how many games he started. He hasn't started a ton because he was injured. If right. he is the sixth man from now until end of the year there's going to be a real case for him as six man of the year if i were to give anybody betting advice it'd be you know check the odds on that and see if well, uh, i can tell you kyle he's plus 2300 there's like five or six people in front of him and westbrook's number one westbrook's not going to win it so is there to be taken like the the field is wide open yeah if you want to sprinkle a little bit of cash on that i don't yeah. think that's the craziest uh bet you'll ever make i i feel like it'll probably go to somebody like a Malcolm Brogdon who's coming yeah, off the bench for the him. best team in the league. But, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, you could get the, the effect of what you're getting with Maxi just by staggering stars more. I think doc has leaned more toward, he wants to have Joel and James on the floor together as much as possible, which mm-hmm. is what we saw with uh, Ben and Joel back when Ben was here during his last season where he played. And I understand that mentality. I do th- I, I do worry a little bit about these maxi lineups in playoff games where you're basically asking him to go out and beat another. Most teams are going to have a, a real star on the floor for those minutes. Times, they're, yeah. they're, they're always going to have somebody out there. You're not going to get Tyrese against, you know, Ben Simmons and Joe Harris and yeah. Seth Curry and not Katie and Kyrie in the playoffs. So I do worry about it from that perspective, but I I mean, I've said it on the podcast already. I I do think that he now is in this mentality of he comes into the game and you don't, you're not telling him to defer to anybody. I I actually asked doc about this the other day and he said, it's not like we ever needed to tell Tyrese to score or want to score previously Mm -hmm. but when he's getting more on ball reps and he can control a possession from start to finish and decide all right this is i'm calling my number i'm hunting this matchup whatever i thought he was really bold last night honestly spending a lot of that first half attacking nick claxton who's been one of the best switch defenders in the league and honestly played good defense and tyrese just made threes over him and you know that sort of shows where Tyrese's headspace is right now, which is good because there were definitely some moments right after he came back from injury where I thought he was a little more hesitant than he should have been. The shooting touch wasn't all there. And then he still ends up playing in crunch time, right? You could argue he had you know maybe the second biggest shot of the game. DeAnthony Melton gets an offensive rebound, little under two minutes left. Nets mm-hmm. get that rebound. They might go down, tie, or take the lead yeah. in the game. Instead... He kicks it right to Maxi. Tyrese hits a, a huge three. They pad the lead just a little bit, and you know the building goes absolutely bonkers. So, obviously, he's still getting these chances to play late. PJ did not make an appearance late in this game. No. So I, I don't. I think that is how you keep Tyrese in the boat, so to speak. Right? Maybe he's coming off the bench and 
he doesn't love that as much as he's probably telling people in public. But as long as he's playing those minutes that matter and he's getting these chances to perform when it counts, I, I think that probably holds the most sway at the end. And he was awesome last night. And it's been great to see him get back closer to where he was before he got injured. Well, one thing that impresses me about him, and there was a play last night I thought that really kind of enca- encapsulated it, was he, uh, you know, the, on one side of the court, he, he at one point he was laying down with an injury. I forget if, like, he came up lame with his foot. There was something like that. And so he's, he's slow to get up. He runs down, uh, you know, the Sixers are on offense. He gets the, the offensive side of the court, and he gets the ball, and he immediately shoots it. And I think more than any other player on the team, when he gets it, like, you know, if you're watching it as a fan and you're, you're sitting there and going or whatever, like he catches it in your head, you're like, shoot, like he does that more than anybody. I think he is the most willing shooter on the team and Bede certainly can be ingre- aggressive. Harden has gotten better at it. But to your point, I don't know if it's because he's too young to know what he doesn't know, but he is right now in a mentality of he does not care at all. Like he will just shoot the ball. Like I don't care if he's missed three in a row, four in a row. I think he's really, really good at having the mentality of whenever he gets it, he is perfectly comfortable shooting it. And it's such a, it's a great trait to have. I hope he never loses it because when he goes off, it it looks awesome. But I think on this team, especially having somebody that is not afraid of, of the moment and not afraid of like just being willing to shoot is such a huge characteristic for them. And I think they do have more fearless guys on this team now. Mm-hmm. than they've probably ever had, at least in recent history. Because you think about it, you know, I don't I don't worry whether he's going to take a shot when it counts. I don't worry about the Anthony Melton. I, I think he almost skews the other way where you kind of want to rein him in from time to time. Where he he's very trigger-happy. Yeah. yeah. What, but look, I, I appreciate good. That. that. That's something that George Niang is another great example. He is not passing up any shot at any time if he's got the space to get it up. And those guys decide playoff games and then that helps decide playoff series. You cannot have guys who are afraid of the moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, that honestly, we you asked me like my big takeaway earlier. I think that might be the biggest takeaway from that game and watching that and thinking about the macro level stuff is that they have a bunch of role players around their stars, at least a handful of them that I'm not really worried about in a, you know, if the ball swings their way, game on the line or important moment in a fourth quarter, I don't think those guys are backing down. Now, you know, do they make the shot or not? I right. can't sit here and tell you that. But you got to have guys that it's the Ted Lasso line, but goldfish mentality. It's just you forget <laughs> about it. You move on and you're on to the next play like that. That is the mentality. I think several of their really important role players have. And. I think it will make them better in the playoffs. Well, I almost feel like, uh, and this might sound corny, but I almost feel like they're kind of growing up and like as a team in in front of our very eyes over these last like three weeks, right? The West Coast swing, the long homestand win, uh, winning streak that they had. Uh, And then last night, like, why, why do you think that is? You're around the team. You were there last night. It does feel like everything just clicked all of a sudden. And now they're almost unstoppable what do you think it is? Cause you're right that that stage last night was a big one for them to jump into play fearlessly. Again, Niang is like yelling at Ben and all those things. What do you think clicked and, and changed for them? I mean, they're healthy. Number one, we can start with, right. look, they have, they have everybody available. Knock on wood. We'll see 
mm-hmm. with Joel's foot and if he misses any time, whatever. I certainly hope he doesn't miss the uh, wow. the Jokic yeah. battle because I'd, I'd be surprised. I would be shocked. He'd he'd probably have to amputate his foot to. Uh, right. Well, his shoulder thing. Game. He was kind of really messing with his shoulder for part of. Yeah, the game. I think that might have just been. You know, that's a a bump yeah. and bruise that you. He you seemed good through. after the game. Yeah, uh, and he said he said after the game that his foot is good. Like he didn't hint at uh, any sort of serious thing. So nice. you know, we'll see there. But yeah, I, I mean, number one most important thing is they have their full roster of players available and then on top of that james and joel the offensive chemistry is now at a level far beyond even what it was last year when it was really good right away they were basically the best pick and roll combo in the league and i don't know that they've been at the same level in terms of points per possession this year but as a team offense they are absolutely firing on all cylinders as i said earlier number one offense in the league since December 5th. That is not an insignificant amount no, of time. That's that's almost months. two months of elite offense, number one level offense in the league. I mean, it's the, it's the majority of the year, isn't it? Because when's the season start? Is it late? Have, I mean, yeah, I'd probably have to go back and look at the actual games played. Well, no, I'm yeah, saying I, I would guess that that's... Months is, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, to your point, not a significant stretch. That's the majority of the season. Yeah, so, I mean, that's number one and number two. Those are the two biggest things. I, I think, again, Doc has certainly put them in a spot where they have a clear hierarchy, and that helps a team settle into a rhythm where mm-hmm. Joel is the guy, James is number two, Tyrese is number three, whether he's six man or a starter. And so things fall into place. You've had role players, including, I know we've brought up Tobias Harris quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, since we started it, but yeah. role players buying into what they need to do and what they're supposed to do. Tobias being a catch and shoot guy and being a situational attacker versus the offense is running through him. And so it, it's it's a ton of different stuff, right? It's all combining to make this really good team. And I think you're finally seeing the team that we expected, at least I expected coming into this year. I I said my prediction before the year, this is a team that could win 55 games maybe 60 Mm -hmm. if everything breaks right and they're certainly at that kind of pace over the last you know 20 whatever games that they've been on a a heater for and as we said last podcast i don't i don't think personally they're going to catch boston but it's closer than i think people realize and they have as much of a chance to decide the fate of the eastern conference playoff picture as anybody because they play Every single top five team in the East, they play at least twice. They play Denver twice. This is their moment to say, we're a real deal contender. Joel Embiid deserves to win the MVP award. Like it is all in front of them right now. So my last 24 hours of my life has been consumed with coach of the year stuff because of Nick Sirianni, people feeling like he got snubbed from it. We talked about Maxi six man, and we talk so much about Joel and MVP. At what point do you think, and this sounds crazy because I bet a lot of fans would want him fired still, but is could Doc enter the coach of the year discussion? Because what I hear you saying, but hold on, hold on. What, what, what I hear you saying <laughs> is, a team, is a team where everybody's bought into their role. They could get the one seed potentially. They have survived a bunch of injuries. He talked Maxi or however it happened into being a six man. Everybody's gelling. People are making sacrifices. To me, that sounds like an extremely well-coached team and a tough situation that has been navigated well to put them into where they are. So 
I, I mean, is it crazy or, or do you look? I don't. Think I think the bar, but... the bar, they'd have to clear. Like, I, I think they'd have to win maybe like sixty games for for Doc to get into, uh, which is, I guess, not theoretically impossible, but would be very, right. very difficult. Um, that that's an award that tends to go to. It's either the coach of the quote unquote best team in a lot of cases, or it's somebody who overachieved with a young team. I, I think probably the runaway favorite in my mind, I don't know if the betting odds line up with this is Mike Brown and Sacramento because they've mm-hmm. been such a downtrodden franchise for so long. And now they look they're I believe they're third in the Western conference. So, you know, so that's a basically, huge, basically Brian Dable is what you're saying. Yeah. It, so that's a big <laughs> jump. I, Actually, I want to just make a quick point on Sirianni while you actually brought it. it up. Go for it. I find the fact that, you know, so many people spent the second half of this season saying Jalen Hurts is a system quarterback and blah, blah, blah. Well, if that's true, if you mm. believe that, then you have to give credit to the guy who made the system. Then yeah. Nick Sirianni is clearly the coach of the year. Like, and it's not even close. If Jalen Hurts played at a MVP level, which he did all season, and you believe that's a product of what's around him, the person who gets the credit is the person who created that structure. So either you have to think Jalen Hurts, and I don't I think you have to think both. I think Hertz was a legitimate MVP candidate and Sirianni deserves coach of the year consideration, but you cannot trot out the system QB thing and then not give Sirianni his proper credit. So I I thought that was a ridiculous dynamic and that. Yeah. Well, look, I I might steal that point from you and use it on the radio because it's a good right ahead. Yeah. But um, the other thing that I, since we're down this, this path and we could tie it to Joel and doc in, in a way, but there's this thing with Jalen and look, Jalen is a very hard worker. He deserves everything he's getting. Like when he gets that huge deal, he will have flat out earned it. Carson Wentz, the second he was drafted number two overall had to lose that deal. Like the deal was always coming. He had to play poor enough to not get it. Jalen, when he was drafted, had to earn it. Right. But I think because we always view Jalen as he works so hard, he's so motivated. This guy's so special. Sometimes we don't give credit to the people around him. I mean, if you want to talk about Sirianni, Jalen was a late second round pick. He was benched in college because he couldn't throw the ball. And Sirianni, look, Jalen deserves credit again. But Sirianni's been the head coach that's taken him from essentially a wildcat quarterback, which he should have never been, but that's what he was when Sirianni got him. And he's turned him into an MVP candidate, right? So to your point about the system thing, we can't ignore the fact that, A, the Eagles far overachieved this year. But the fact that he turned Jalen into what he is is an incredible coaching job. And to tie it back for, to, to Doc, I think often about what you said, where Embiid's been his best under Doc. Like, we can hate on Doc all we want. And, you know, Joel, I think he got him at the right time of his career and all those things. But the bottom line is, like, great players often are correlated with great head coaches because they let them do their thing. They put them in the right situations. To your point about, quote-unquote, system, like, I think it's a it's kind of a dumb thing to say because all quarterbacks are system quarterbacks to to a certain extent. But Nick has put Jalen in a situation to it to succeed. And for whatever we want to say about Doc and his handling the backup center and like challenges and timeouts, Joel has been awesome under Doc. And I, you know, I think that that he gets he deserves some credit for that. Well, and it gets forgotten a little bit now, but when Doc got here, on top of the set in the structure where, hey, Joel, you're you're the guy and everything mm-hmm. else is going to be tailored through you. 
I think people forget too that there were some obviously we were not privy to these conversations as they happened. But we found out later, Doc comes in and he essentially tells Joel, if you're not in the best shape that you can possibly be in, you're, this is bullshit. Like mm-hmm. you set the standard for this organization and you need to take that seriously as a leader. Like we know how talented you are and we know that you can show up and maybe give 75% effort and still score 30 points against a lot of teams in this league. But yeah. if you want to be an MVP type player, the a, a leader who can win championships, you have to start with all the other stuff, with being prepared for these games. Like you could never question Joel's love for basketball. He watches more games than probably anybody on the team. He mm-hmm. actually holds up post-game media availability so he can uh-huh. watch more basketball in the locker room, which is great. He's he loves the game, he loves the craft, all that. And he has worked very hard throughout his career. But it's there are levels of commitment among stars, right? Like LeBron James is as good as he is this deep into his 30s because of his talent, yes. Mm-hmm. Because he's been on other good teams, yes. But also because that guy spends seven figures on his body every year on what goes into it, what workouts he does, what he's doing with trainers, so on and so forth. The equipment that he has in his home so that yeah. he gets the proper rest and relaxation. And all those are things that I think Joel has understood more that were Doc didn't come in and say, hey, here's your training regimen or whatever it is. But he sent a Louie, I know that's a very exciting uh, training regimen. So Doc came in and he told Joel, what you've done up to this point is good, but it's not good enough. And so yeah. that's a, a very powerful thing to have a, a coach come in and tell you. And to Joel's credit, as you're saying, it credit goes all around. He has risen to that challenge and he's been the, the guy for the most part. Certainly he's had some down moments, but the guy that they've needed him to be as the leader of the organization. Well, and that is one benefit. And I kind of sometimes wish he would do this more, especially with PJ. But that is one benefit of having Doc is it takes somebody of a certain stature and a certain level of accomplishment to sit Joel down when you're first hired and be like, yo, you better get in shape, right? Like a rookie head coach can say that he would do that and you could act like it. But to have that level of sway to sit the franchise down and say that, and again, to convince Toby to change his game, I think you know, Harden, I think is just healthier now. It's probably more a result of that than a result of anything Doc's done. But Maxi coming off the bench, like I, I just, um, and this seems like a common theme uh, amongst this pod. But I just sometimes think Doc doesn't get doesn't get the credit he deserves. And watching everyone complain about Nick not get it, I don't know. I think like for a fan base that says they love to support their own, maybe it's time Doc gets a little more uh, support in the city for uh for for what he's done. So and and even Harden Harden has been a more willing catch and shoot guy recently point. too. Like yep. that's a and a lot of that is just James is getting open shots and he'd look like a crazy person if he wasn't taking them. Mm-hmm. But that's certainly a message that comes from the coaching staff and it comes from Joel. Like, hey man, I'm in the post getting doubled. The ball's going to swing to you. You're going to get opportunities. You got to yeah. let those go. So that's an evolution that we've seen from James that on top of the the physical burst and all the stuff that you give credit to James for, there are certainly some examples we can point to of, all right, that's probably something that the coaching staff has been in his ear about and he's been receptive to. Yeah. All right. So I got, I got two more questions for you before we have to wrap this up. 
First is, we talk so much about Sixers and Nets. I want to, I've been trying to ask you, but we keep getting sidetracked. Would you pick the Sixers to beat the Nets in a playoff series? Like assuming everyone's there, KD, everyone's healthy. Who wins that series? I take the Sixers. I'm not that concerned about it. Uh, I mm. would say really you just, the case for Brooklyn is that Durant goes God mode. And right. that's absolutely possible. It's why, even though I was skeptical about them to start the year, that I, I, I'm not just going to throw them out as a, a non-threat in any playoff series because that that's the level of respect I have for that guy. I actually joked to somebody last night that that game was almost a, a case for Durant for MVP because they had some stretches where I was like, yeah. man, I can't believe this team is any good. And it's well, really just Curry about going him. off, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. It's certainly, it's like he just makes so many things work. Do you, do you think they could have traded Thibel instead of Curry in that deal? Well, so the complication there was that Thibel would not have been able to play last year in New York because of the, the vaccination. Oh, stuff. It was the same. Point. There was actually reporting at the time that Thibel was involved in the talks, but the Nets were trying to see if they could reroute him elsewhere for somebody That's who right. could actually play for them. Yeah, so that was, that was a – I don't know how that would have ended up in terms of uh, the Sixers' brain trust and how they value everybody, yeah. but – that was basically a non-starter for the Nets. Um, I will say, Louie, my dog is going crazy today, man. Yeah, Louis, um, pro, pro vaccine right there, trying to just you know. Bark <laughs> <the sidewalk>. Yeah, <laughs> I I think Joel playing. I would say that's probably a C, maybe C minus game from him. Mm -hmm. And the Nets have one of the greatest shooting performances ever in a loss, and the Sixers were still able to win that game says a lot to me. Like we have not seen Joel have a quote unquote a game or Joel Embiid type game against Brooklyn so far this right. year and they're 2 and 0. I mean, they beat essentially the full strength Nets with Shake Milton and DeAnthony Melton earlier yep. in the season. And I think there's just the Sixers just have better, more playoff prepared depth. The Nets just have way too many guys that are one side of the ball players, right? They, mm -hmm. they sort of have the old Sixers problem. I think Claxton is evolving into a two-way guy, but he's got real problems in terms of floor spacing when you get into those end-game moments. You stack that up with what Simmons' problems are on, on the offensive side of the ball, and that you basically have to decide whether you're playing one of those guys. Yeah, And then like Joe Harris can't defend anybody. Seth Curry can't defend anybody. TJ Warren is a great scorer, but can't defend anybody. So they have to make hard choices with a lot of these guys. I mean, even Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's a, historically has yeah. been a, a bad defender. He's an unbelievable offensive player, so you live with that. But they just have way too many guys that you're going to have to sacrifice something on one side of the floor to keep them on the floor. And I don't think the Sixers have quite as many of those. Now, obviously, we've talked a lot about PJ struggles and the Tyrese and James backcourt and all that. But I do think the Sixers at least have, you know, options they can cycle through. And I, I do in my heart of hearts think PJ is at some point going to figure all this out. Like I refuse well, can't get to worse. believe, can't I refuse to yeah. believe in my mind that this is just like, he's, it, this is it for him. Yeah. So I, I would take the Sixers. I wouldn't feel it's not a stone cold lock or anything. And I do want to see 
both teams at full go, which we should hopefully get in the final two meetings of the year against Mm -hmm. these teams. But it'll be interesting. It seems like it would be soonest would be round two, I would assume. And if the Sixers are on this trajectory, they might be able to avoid them until a potential conference final series. Yeah, and to your thing about KD just going off in the beginning of the year, while I've always dismissed the Nets because I just don't trust them, like I would, you know, I hope we get them full strength for the final two matchups. It would floor me if KD, Kyrie, and uh, Ben are all healthy for both of those games. It just feels like that's not going to happen. But I do think what makes me feel better about the chance of KD going off is that I think Embiid and, and now Harden, and to a certain extent Maxi are capable of also having those games where it's like, all right, KD's going off, well, Harden's matching him, or Embiid's matching him, or Maxi is helping to kind of bridge the gap between KD and then Harden combined, right? Like, I think they have more players that are capable of uh, of exploding and having big games, so that makes me worry about KD a little less. Um, All right, the Nuggets on Saturday. Probably, you know, speak of rivalry week. Like, Embiid gets Ben and Jokic, probably his two biggest, well, actually easily his two biggest rivals in the uh, in the league. What are you thinking about that matchup? I mean, I think we both hope and assume Joel will play. He's not going to want to miss it. Um, just what are you know your thoughts on that game? A good finals preview too, potentially. Well, another great lie from Joel post game on Wednesday night. He said it's not it's not Joel versus Jokic. It's the Sixers versus the Nuggets. Yeah, okay, it's like, Joel. come on, bro, get get yeah. out of here. He knows as well as anybody. This is a an MVP level battle. Right. I do think you know sneaky subplot for this game Jokic is going to have basically a week of rest coming into this game so i didn't know that he's going to be loaded up and ready to go i would assume i just want look i want to see four quarters uh, of big man basketball i don't want to see my worst nightmare i don't want to well here's (laughs) the thing it's your worst nightmare if it's like double teams and just annoying right if we could just see those guys go one-on-one and straight up battle in the post and and from the elbows and what have you that would be awesome i mean that's not really how Jokic plays they'll run their their motion and their their back cuts and all that off of him and it's what makes them so hard to really even compare despite the fact they played the same position they don't play the game similarly almost at all on, on either end of the floor but look it's another one where i'm hoping that I don't think there's the same emotion for Joel in this one as the Ben game. There's just not as much active hatred there. And and in fact, I think Jokic is one of the guys that he really respects. He's he's dumped on uh, opponents in the past, guys he's quote-unquote rivals with. Yeah, He always has nothing but nice things to say about Jokic, which I think is, is honestly pretty cool given the fact that guys beating him to the last two MVP awards. Right. You'd think there'd be some some bitterness well, it probably, there it probably helps they never they almost never play each other you know it's yeah. twice a year and i don't i'd have to go back and look and see you know who's missed whose games or what but it doesn't feel like they play each other a ton you know i can remember yeah, but i i also think too i think joel likes the fact that big men whether it's him or Jokic or you throw yeah, Giannis in there too like Giannis is i think he's more of a big man than he is anything else yeah i think joe likes the fact that the guys who are at like the vanguard of the league, the best players in the league, a lot of them are either centers or people who profile as big men in in today's NBA. So I I'm looking forward to some fireworks from both teams. I'm hoping that Mm -hmm. uh, we get big nights out of both those guys. And look, there's never going to be a better opportunity for Joel to put himself right back at the front of the MVP race. 
His team's on a roll. He's got a matchup with probably the, at this point, weirdly enough, the favorite to win the award again. So everything's on the table. So tell me how insane this idea is. I had it last night when they were talking about rivalry week. I think rivalry week, first of all, is awesome. I wish the NFL would do it like one week where you just, I know they do division at the end of the year, but just call it rivalry week. I think it would be sick. What if they did one-on-one? Like, so last night, right? Like, or this, this Saturday, Embiid versus Jokic, one-on-one, it counts like a game. Like you could play to 21 or whatever, however you wanted to do it. Like, or if the Bucks and the Nets play, you can do like KD versus Giannis. You can't tell me that would be not the most talked about thing in the regular season if rivalry week became one-on-one matchups. Like the ratings would be insane. The, like who the team picked would be crazy. I think it would be super cool. They should just do it at All-Star. Like that's the solution. Yeah, there you go. Do it at All-Star oh, yeah. every year. What do you think of the draft before the uh, the game? Should have done it from the start. Like this is Agreed. the best way to possibly do it. And the humiliating moment for the guy who's the last guy picked is going to be absolutely hysterical. Um, yeah. I mean, that could be the beginning of a rivalry. Like if you're the guy that's the last one standing on that court and like whoever decides not to take you last, like I don't see how you don't take that extremely personally. Well, I got to say, as somebody who's a bit of a Rudy Gobert hater, yes. it's been really funny to see them every year. It's like, not only is he the last guy picked, but they're just like laughing at the idea that he's <laughs> the last guy picked during the draft. So that's I been a uh, fun subplot. I think Joel could be the first pick. Like that, like, you know, to stand on the court and to be the first pick could be pretty cool for him. Well, I don't think he can be the first pick unless he starts the game, and I'm I'm a little dubious. Of oh, that, uh, yeah, that's right. That announcement's tonight, by the way. We're going to find out who's starting the All-Star mm. game. All right, what's your prediction? I don't think he's starting. I think Tatum and Giannis start over him. Although I will say, I've been reading some of the, the media members who have ballots. They're right. voting. And it has been more of a split than I thought that Joel's been getting the nod over Giannis. So... I think he deserves it over Giannis. I think it's tougher to make the case over Tatum just because of the the games played gap. Like Tatum's played forty mm-hmm. something games or whatever. But I, I do think that he might win the media vote. The problem is Giannis is decisively winning the the, the fan, fan vote. vote. So yeah, unless he also wins the player vote, it's not really going to matter. Well, as I've said, it's a complete joke if he doesn't start the NBA All-Star game. Like, it's just a complete yeah. joke. Uh, you know, and there's certainly a lot of deserving other players, but Embiid's one of the biggest stars in the league, if not like top five or top three biggest star, he should start. So, all right, we will see what happens tonight with that. And then, of course, we have uh, Sixers Nuggets on Saturday. Then we got the Eagles playoff game, so that's going to also distract a little bit. Do you want to give a, a prediction for that game before we wrap this up? I'm taking the birds, man. Come on. Hey, they, look at you. They're the, the number guy, one man. seed at home. Yeah. They're playing a, a inexperienced quarterback who's going to be in a hostile environment. Yeah. It, it's time for this cute little Brock Purdy show to, uh, to come to a crashing halt in Philadelphia. Well, if that happens, I'll be doing some of these pods from Arizona. So it'll be a wild two weeks uh, after that. But all right. Thank you to everybody that is still listening at this point. Very much appreciate it. Uh, As I said, five-star reviews. Ask a question there if you want me to ask Kyle a question. You want to ask me a question about pizza or something like that, I will gladly take that one one as well. But uh, thanks, everyone. Download the Odyssey app, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Um, All right, Kyle. Talk to you next time. See you guys soon.